You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Fatherhood Edition. That's right. It's another one of our special episodes. I am Nathan, your humble and obedient host. You're going to be hearing from Jake and Ben with me here in a second. We recorded another episode with a special guest where we asked the question, what is one movie that a father should watch with his son? And we talked about the wonderful 2011 film warrior and who did we talk about it with well we talked about it with toby sumter pastor toby sumter of king's cross church in moscow idaho you may know toby as one of the hosts of cross politic podcast and one of the mainstays of the fight laugh feast network you can find more of his work at tobyjsumter.com or of course flf that's fight laugh feast network.com Listen to Cross Politic. Toby wanted to talk about Warrior, his pick for a great father-son movie. And so without further ado, I'll take you to a conversation between Toby and myself and Jake and Ben. Here we go. All right. We are joined by the great Toby Sumter. And we are talking about a movie that I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie ever made. I'm not going to say it's one of the greatest movies ever made. I am going to say, if you've got eyes and you've got ears and those eyes and ears are in some capacity connected to a heart of some sort, and testosterone also flows through that heart and through that those eyes and ears, then you probably got done watching this movie and thought, that's the greatest movie I've ever seen. This is a fantastic movie. And it is, of course, Warrior. And this is the Toby Sumter pick for one movie that a father should watch with his son. And just to get our bearings and understand who we're talking to, Toby, what is your favorite movie of all time ever? Oh, like favorite movie all time ever. Yeah. Oh man. I'm terrible at things like this. The guy that we just had on who's said predator. So (laughs) you can't do worse or better. (laughs) I don't think I've seen predator. So, um, (laughs) I, I I don't know. Like I really mm-hmm. love Master and Commander. Fantastic. I I like I like Gladiator. Just um, like Russell Crowe. I, apparently, I have a Russell Crowe thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, what else have I watched that I have really enjoyed? I liked a lot of the old Harrison Ford movies. I don't know. He was yeah. in like those Tom Clancy novels, mm-hmm. Jack, sure, yeah. Jack Ryan type stories, and yeah, there's, I'm probably missing something obvious, but there's a few of my favorites. I have often wondered because I haven't seen clear and present danger since i was a kid but i'm like i wonder how that movie plays now right now that we've all decided the government is just one big conspiracy you know everything's cia all the conspiracy theories have come true (laughs) it'd be interesting to go back to some of those early tom clancy things you know another one i really like is live die repeat oh yeah with tom cruise what was it yeah emily blunt is that emily blunt or who's the yeah 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 i don't always like Tom Cruise can be a real slime ball, but that's, I don't know. I've, we've actually watched that on a few New Year's Eves. I think we accidentally watched it one New Year's Eve, and then we were like, that was pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's just there's a, a fun of, action movie. Yeah. There's something about, there's some good, true masculinity in that story, too, of a man basically having to die every day in order to win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus, it's such a savvy use of Tom Cruise realizing that many people think I, that he is a slime ball and deserves and to die like to every see, day. <laughs> see that little Scientologist uh, die 4000 times. It's a good uh, <laughs> in image rehab moment for him to pick a movie like that. It's incredibly smart. We are here to talk about an even manlier movie, Warrior. And uh, Toby, this was 
your answer for the question, one movie a father should watch with his son. So why did you pick this film? Yeah, I stumbled on this movie. I don't know, probably like 10, 12 years. Or I don't even know when it came out. I didn't check what date it came out, but probably 10 years ago. Um, I, I like other movies I've liked. I like the old Rocky. Sure. And mm-hmm. so there's there's definitely some like Rocky-esque flavor to this. But I think the thing that made this stand out a little bit more for me um, was it's, I would say, not an incredibly deep movie, but it has more depth maybe than most of these sort of fighter-esque movies. So I'm not here arguing that it's incredibly deep, high art, but I would say it's good folk art. And it opens with Nick Nolte's character. He's a recovering alcoholic, failed father, listening to Moby Dick in his car, Mm. going to an AA meeting at a church. And I, and just right there, so Moby Dick is sort of this, Herman Melville is playing in the background at a, in several key moments in the story, which kind of already, I think, just, I just appreciate that. I mean, even if it's, even if that was, you know, the movie makers sort of sprinkling something literary on top, I think it works. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that, that thoughtfulness. But Herman Melville was a, I would describe him as a Christ haunted man. I don't know if we really have a very, uh, it doesn't seem like he knew the Lord Jesus, but he had grown up, I think, Presbyterian. And I think Moby Dick is perhaps the greatest example of his Christ hauntedness. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of sets a tone for the whole story of this sort of feeling of feelings of obsession, of fear, looming despair. Mm-hmm. and failure. And and the, that's the story. I mean, the whole Moby Dick story is this obsessed, crazy captain who's going to die tr- trying to face his nemesis and take everybody down with him. Yeah, exactly. So why this movie, I think it's one of the key temptations that uh, the devil brings to men is the temptation to despair. And I think it opens with a man who's lost everything literally because of his idolatry to alcohol. And, and so the story opens in a really hopeless place. I mean, he's going to AA, but he doesn't, you know, he's alone. And it, clearly the story actually implies that he's become a Christian. He's going to church. There's a Bible in his living room. Mm-hmm. And in the opening scenes, one of his sons shows up out of the blue, who is pretty angry and bitter because of the way that he abandoned their family. The dad abandoned their family. And says you know mm-hmm. something like so you found Jesus now and apparently his wife the boy's mom died of i can't remember some kind of sickness cancer i think yeah and he asks where was your jesus when the mom was coughing up blood and so there's a broken mangled family due to the father's sins the sins have been visited on his two boys and so that i don't know, appreciate that literary flavor that opens the you know, sets a tone if you know the story of Moby Dick and you know Herman Melville i appreciate that that flavor and it fits. The central conflict is over the failure of this father visited on his two sons, resulting in their completely broken fellowship. There's enmity, there's animosity, there's bitterness. But I think the other thing that it also identifies is that maybe in the midst of the mess, the one virtue that the father had, even in the midst of his alcoholism, Mm -hmm. was teaching his sons to fight. Taught both of his boys how to wrestle in particular was apparently probably a pretty hard and harsh dad pushing them to to succeed and win a lot of competitions and so on but he's got around his living room all these medals and pictures of their successes his son's successes and their and their wrestling i think it's interesting that then that it's that shared love of wrestling and fighting that actually is part of the 
than the engine that begins reconciling the father and his sons. And of course, back of that is the father has begun to fight his sin. He's gone to war with alcoholism and God's begun to give him a little bit of victory. Uh, but now he's got to take the fight to his sons. And actually, in, in, in actual fact, God brings the fight to him. The one son just shows up out of the blue, pretty angry and bitter, but pretty quickly asks his dad to be his coach. He wants to train for a big fight. He doesn't want any kind of relationship with his dad. He makes it really clear. I don't want to be your friend. I just want you to be my coach. The one thing you were good at was being a coach, he says. And so they strike up this uneasy bargain for his dad to begin coaching him again. And then, you know, meanwhile, you have this other son who has a bit of a family, but has cut everything off from. So Tom Hardy is, is the first son who was, was in the military, is angry and just wants dad to coach him. And then Joel Edgerton plays the other son who has a wife and a daughter. Um, and he's in his own trouble. He's got some financial problems and then starts fighting on weekends. And that causes him to get suspended from a teaching position. And so I think Warrior is a great movie for dads to watch with their sons because it accurately depicts the way male sin affects families and society. It's traumatic, not just in families, but we're witnessing the meltdown of men. And that's what's driving so much of the, the, the breakdown of our society. But I also think it accurately depicts what a male repentance looks like. I think oftentimes, even the Christian church overly feminizes what repentance looks like. And I don't just, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about something as superficial as tears. I just mean a lot of our piety is heavily feminized. It's overly sharing, trying to plumb the depths of your feelings, coffee dates, looking deep into each other's eyes. And a bunch of dudes say, you know, I don't have any use for that. And then think they don't have any use for repentance and they don't have any use for Jesus. But the central motif here for male repentance is fighting, wrestling, training, subduing your own body, putting to death your own sins, your own selfishness, falling down, getting back up, endurance, tenacity, courage. And I think what's really cool is that even, even though it's subtle, Jesus really is pointed to in this film at the very beginning as being the strong and faithful man. And he's the one who gives the mercy and the grace to Christian men to lead and love faithfully. It's interesting that it turns out that all three men have kind of their own noble goals, even as they fight with and alongside one another, culminating in this big international tournament. Joel's character wants to save his own house. His own is He's trying to provide for his wife and his daughter, and his daughter had a pretty significant medical crisis where he'd spent all his money. Even uh, Tom Hardy's character has come back from the war and, and had promised another soldier that he would take care of his wife if he died, and, his, and that soldier had died in a friendly fire accident. And so we find out that even though he's kind of angry and bitter at his dad, he really wants to provide for this widow. And so there's some really cool things there. And I think the last thing I'll mention and then stop yakking at you, but I also really appreciate just a couple of little things that aren't major themes, but I appreciate the fact that Joel's character in particular has to make decisions that are unpopular with his wife and she has to struggle with his leadership and, I, and that doesn't necessarily mean that all his leadership decisions are the best or right, but I really appreciate the fact that it, dem, it depicts that and he's still a hero. So often in a lot of modern movies, if you go against your wife, you're, it's going to come back and bite you. And the moral of the story is going to be that you should have listened to your wife. You should have submitted to your wife. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those rare movies where actually she comes around to cheer him on and really does submit to her husband. I really appreciate that. And I also think this is a rare movie 
that uses the word forgive. So, so often when there's been a lot of sin, there might be some vague apology, but there's actually several conversations in the movie about forgiveness. And it actually uses the word accurately. And in, in one conversation, the dad is pleading with Joel's character, can't you please forgive me? And he says, yeah, I do forgive you, but I don't trust you. And that's actually a really biblical distinction. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's an important biblical distinction. Especially in situations up, like that, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's cut off all communication. He doesn't want his alcoholic dad around his daughter and his wife. And that's actually a, oftentimes the hard decision you have to make to be a faithful man. So he forgives him. He's not going to hold the sin against him anymore, but he doesn't trust him yet. You've got to rebuild that trust. And then even the brothers have a conversation about it later on. You forgave dad. Yeah, I forgave him, but that doesn't mean everything's fine. And so even at the very end of the movie, there's, you know, there's a a breakthrough that's happened, but it's not over yet. There's a breakthrough at the end of the movie that I won't, I won't give away, but it's not all puppy dogs and rainbows at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's still sin that's going to have to be dealt with and repented of, and trust is still going to have to be restored. So that's some of the reasons why I think this is a great movie for dads and sons to watch. Yeah, I love how hard won everything is in this movie. You've got two things. On the one hand, it's a very movie movie. Like there's, oh, really? The brothers are going to fight each other. Like we're going towards this kind of thing that you can feel the gears of the plot turning to make happen that maybe wouldn't happen in real yeah. life. But on the it's other hand- It's very typological though, because I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but yeah. the idea that the sins of the fathers are visited on the sons and that ends with the brothers fighting. I don't know, something about right. Cain See, and yeah. Abel. and Goes back to the earliest typology. Right. But yeah, then on the other hand, you realize how cheap so many of our narratives and so many of our movies are in talking about redemption and talking about forgiveness and depicting these things. So many movies will depict forgiveness as a kind of one-time act, just a, okay, I forgive you. Let's hug. The music swells. Now everything's good. And forgiveness is actually an ongoing process it takes your whole life it's a we a pastor that describes it as a like a furnace that you have to keep throwing the fuel of god's love into so that you can keep forgiving the person it's not just i've forgiven you now everything's great especially with these big kind of generational personality defining soul defining sins and so i just i can't think of many movies and certainly not movies that are fighting genre type movies that get at sort of how hard one that is. And I love how messy everything is at the end. It's not just, well, we did the one thing, so now everything's great. Yeah, if we can just be a little spoilery, which I think we should... Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. But I love the ending where Tom Hardy is broken dad, and dad, dad loses a battle. Dad's drunk in the hotel room, listening to Ahab wreck everything and screaming. And that's that vulnerability at that moment where he's broken, where, because that's the moment Tom Hardy grabs him and is softened towards his dad. But then dad doesn't actually recover, and we have no idea what's going to happen next. Dad makes his way to the fight. Dad's off in the shadows. Dad's proud. Dad's happy. Dad could be telling himself any number of stories at that moment, but there's a ton of work to be done if there's going to be any real reconciliation. What we know is that the brothers have fought through something together. And that's a big step. And I'm sorry, and I love you. Really, really powerful moments in a really great film. That's incredibly well. I had not seen this movie. I had oh. always wanted to. I had not seen it before. And I sat and watched it with my son, and I thought it was going to be a movie that I broke down over a couple of nights because I'm old now and don't stay up late. But once we started it, we were in it to the end. Yeah, It's truly great. But 
It's great. And the Ahab stuff works. I mean, you could see that feeling so... Heavy-handed. Uh, what? hoity-toity, presumptuous kind of... Like Toby said, we're sprinkling a little culture, a little literary illusion onto... Who's actually read Moby Dick. Right. You see movies like this all the time where they're like, let's make this movie feel deep and thematic by quoting... To be or not to be. We just watched a clip from a... (laughs) Right, yes. (laughs) Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And a Shakespeare quote (laughs) at a very hammy Klingon death. It was great. But this movie works. I always feel a little double-minded about a movie that takes such obvious advantage of someone's pain. But you could tell that Nolte has lived this, that both of these men in some ways have lived this. And so you're getting something that's much, just much more There's real. There's a depth um, to their performances that, that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these guys have experienced some real pain. And it's just not making you false promises, you know? I mean, even movies that I love, Spielberg movies, things like this, where it's like, if you have a dinosaur adventure, then you and your dad will love each other from now on. And it's like, eh, you know, that's not actually how life works most of the time, as much as we'd like it to. And yeah, I just love how hard one it is, how hard, how, how hard one it is for the brothers, how long it takes, how ridiculously long it takes in that fight to finally get to the moment. And yeah, we've got a relative who in our, me and my wife's extended family, who is a fight, was wrestled in high school. We were thinking of him when we watched this movie for the first time, and we ended up just sobbing on the couch. And some of that was the movie, some of that was personal, but this movie affected us like like very few movies have. It's just powerful. So One thing I just want to say about the actual action of it, if I can just take us out of the, what makes it awesome. Part of what makes it awesome is all, every detail. And you come away from a lot of fight movies feeling like, I could do that. Yeah, I'm going to go to the gym. I could be Rocky. Yeah. And this movie handles its action so well that you come away saying, I could never do that. <laughs> yeah. This is a different yeah, class true. of person. And, and they manage that with actors. Athletic actors, but actors. It is worth noting, Tom Hardy entered, I want to say an MMA. If not, it was boxing. He entered some kind of competition like that within the last year or two and won. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy is a beast. He's not yeah, these are know, a, a great man, but he is something. He's They're legit guys, but that's part of the beauty of it, too. Is I actually like, it's just like... Pretending to be a yeah, tough guy. Yeah, I like to watch MMA. I admire that sort of thing. I don't know. I've done a little movie tie and it's something called Kala, which is a, a downstream of Krav Maga. And it's hard stuff. And to handle yourself in that kind of situation under pressure is hard. And while I like the movies that are, they inspire you to go to the gym and to get out there and make something of yourself. I like the movies that also show you just how, how exceptional it is, how hard it is. And there's just like yeah. every detail, so many choices from a movie making standpoint are just right. And that, and really elevate this movie to high level. You know, you fo- you call it f- folk art, pop art, and it is, mm-hmm. but it is high level folk yeah. art where it may not be prestige, but it's very very smart. It's such a pulpy movie. <laughs> you step back and think about it. Yeah, having the two brothers have the climactic fight against each other. The brothers are going to fight, and hey, one of them's a war hero, and there's this whole other backstory of this thing he did, and he. We're spoiling everything now. The army's coming to get him because he deserted. You've just got, it's just like feeding in all these genre tropes and just mashing them together. And it has got almost a superhero feeling when you get to the final battle. Like your two dudes are going to face each other. And yet, it scores so many points for feeling like real life. 
and real yeah. emotions. Like, and that's ingenious. That's what you want from a movie that's going to draw on pulp stuff and let you have that feeling of, hey, we're going to play in the biggest, broadest, most colorful strokes we can. Also, I'm going to convince you that this is like your real life because I'm going to make it feel emotionally realistic, no matter what I do. That is super hard to pull off. I just yeah. can't think of many movies that pull that off like that. I I think tropes become tropes because they speak to universal human experience. That's why we like them. That's why we use them. It's not because they're mm-hmm. at the periphery of human experience that we, a trope would become a trope. And then they get overused and they become cliches and you want to get away from them a little bit. But it, there actually is, in some sense, I would say, it is a higher art to to take something this standard, something that could be this pedestrian, something mm-hmm. that is this pulpy, this obvious. The two brothers are going to fight. The war story, the wife. We've seen it all before. Mm-hmm. To take that and to fill it with real human detail, real emotion, make it something that we can connect to on this visceral of a level. And refuse to I mean, subvert any of those types so that <laughs> yeah, the wife still has to be the one who orients herself to her husband and the brothers do have to fight. And it really is the sins of the father being visited on the sons. And there is and forgiveness and reconciliation and all of those things have to be a part of this. And it all has to be hard fought and hard won. And we're not going to subvert any one of these things. Not a single place are we going to score points by subversion. Yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about yeah. the high quality of the production of the movie and the fighting, Jake, I'm not a trained fighter. So I, you know, I thought it was well done, but I, you know, I'm not an expert enough to know the detail. But the thing that struck me was I know that it's made, it was made by people who actually do MMA fighting. And so it was made by people who love the sport. And so it feels that way. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember watching the credits at the end and you can see the connections that the people that were involved in making this really love it. And I think that attention to detail that you're talking about, and I think it plays into what Ben's saying too, just that all the tropes, but like taking them seriously with, without being like uh, cranky or fussy, but really like just loving the story, loving, loving how fundamentally how God works through like these, like the reason why they're tropes is because this is how God often works. Mm -hmm. God works through men who repent. God works through men who decide not to give up. God works through men who face their sins, face their demons, turn to him for grace and mercy. But I was thinking that a a few years ago, I read a book. I was on a, I think it was a spring break vacation. I read this book about actually Mozart. It's by Paul Johnson, who's a guy, I think he might've just died recently, a British historian, but wrote a bunch of biographies and wrote this slim little volume, maybe 150 pages on Mozart. And the thing that was really, really inspiring about reading that book was like, this Mozart's nuts. He starts composing symphonies at nine or 10 or something like this. And like symphonies that we still play to this day, that you can pay hundreds of dollars to watch and listen, highly, highly trained musicians perform. And that's this whole story is just like this, I mean, completely brilliant, gifted young man. And all through his teenage years, he's just composing symphony after symphony. And like you, Jake, I'm like, the thing that was actually really inspiring is not like that I had any sense that I was going to pick up my bass guitar from high school and become a prodigy. Ha, Mm -hmm. that's hilarious. But the thing that was inspiring was the love. Yeah. Like that, like he, like what it wanted, it made me want to love like he loved. Mm -hmm. And Mozart was a colorful and, and challenging individual and personality, but he loved what he had been given. And that was inspiring. And I, I remember the quickest thing that I right away was trying to think of, you know, my own dad came to the Lord 
and I think in college. And I think one of the probably the, the two things which seem really disparate that I think most impact me to this day would be number one, his love for Jesus. And the way that he demonstrates that is he's committed to doing evangelism all the time. He just goes out and hands out literature and strikes up conversations. And because that's how Jesus found him was friends who cared enough to tell him about his sin and his need for a savior. And so he, to this day, I just saw him last week and he's still telling me about how they're going to go down and he's going to do evangelism in downtown Houston. And he's still telling people about Jesus. And I love his love. And that love inspires me. And then secondly, and it's it's just completely different note, but we moved a bunch growing up four or five uh, times, like really big moves, cross country moves. And my dad had worked for a moving company in college. And so he always packed us up himself, packed us into these moving trucks, moving vans, and then moved us across the country. And I can still like remember watching my dad. He was like the super Tetris guy who could make everything, you know, and, and everybody from church would come and say, Mark, you're not going to be able to fit it in the truck. And he'd be like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. And he would do it most of the time. We left a few things behind here and there. But this is a little thing, but he loved taking care of his family that way by packing a truck and moving us safely across the country and making sure that everything arrived safely. Um, but those would be other examples, though, of loving things deeply. I think this movie does that. It loves the fighting. It loves the action. It loves even those tropes of father and son and the way that God brings healing and restoration. But I also think that that's why it's, like you say, it's inspiring, not because I'm going to go to the gym. It's not like that kind of inspiring, but it is inspiring for you to love the things that you're called to love. And it's inspiring for you to fight the things that you are called by God to fight and struggle and wrestle and endure and trust that God is going to bless it and bring you out the other side. This is why so many father-son stories are also sports stories, and why so many sports movies are made with such affection, because they're always about fathers and sons. And so my own sort of similar story is my parents divorced when I was five, six years, and my dad got custody. Now, the backstory is that my, my dad's parents had, my grandpa had three jobs when he was in junior high, my grandma came to him and said, look, Michael needs you at home more. Let me go to work. All the kids are in school. Let me go to work just a little bit and come home in the evenings. And he did. And my dad was into baseball. My grandfather knew nothing about baseball, but he decided he was going to be my dad's coach and just figure it out. And so that cemented my dad because it cemented his relationship with his dad it cemented them as a baseball family and my family as a baseball family. So when my mom left, baseball was all really, I think that my, or the main thing my dad had to process his fatherhood through. And so my life became about baseball growing up. We were always on the ball field and dad was a great coach and he was a good dad in lots of other ways, but he was at his best on the ball field, which is something I came to resent by the time I hit high school and something I've only later come to appreciate and really understand, especially as a pastor who's worked through other people with their coming out of broken homes and single dads, I see how easy it is for a man to check out, to quit, to walk away, and to see that that was the place where my dad doubled down and built our relationship through baseball. And it's silly and it's a sport, whatever, but it is the place where he doubled down and was at his best. And so it's just like, now it's a thing for my family too. It's what I give to my kids. And hopefully I'm able to give them more. But that's what you see in all of these movies where you have the affection for the sport is inseparable from the affection and the pain of the relationship with the father. So whether it's something dopey like Field of Dreams or something like Hoosiers or 
warrior, it's always a daddy story. And the love and attention to detail with the sport, that's why it gets so much attention in those types of movies, because it's so much about fathers and sons. I was thinking while Toby was talking that budding artists, if they're listening, or current artists should take note. You know, they say, write what you know, write what you love, because I don't give a fig about MMA fighting. But the fact that this movie does, the fact that this movie has affection for the sport and knowledge of the sport and affection for the characters uh, shines through and allows me to, it just, it rubs off on me. It gives me some of the same enthusiasm. And you can tell when you're watching a movie about boxing where they didn't actually care about boxing, where they were just using it. Oh, we got to make the new whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when someone's writes a movie about or makes a movie about a composer and they care about music and when they don't. And it really makes a difference. It's just some of the magic, some of the juju that shines through an artistic work. But you can tell when someone's writing down to their characters, when they think their characters are worse than them, and when they really love them. And one thing that's great about this filmmaker is I don't think he looks down on Nick Nolte. I don't think he looks down on Tom Hardy. I don't think he looks down on Joel Egerton. It'd be so easy for the movie to be made in a way that was snide or in a way that would allow us to pat ourselves on the back and say, you know, isn't it terrible that some men give themselves to alcohol? And isn't it terrible that some families are broken? There's a way to make that movie, but this movie loves its characters. I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about it. And it's one of the things that kind of carries you through the pulpier stuff. If you were tempted to sneer at the fact that the two brothers are going to be mythologically pitted against each other in a way that probably wouldn't happen in real life, you go with it because the movie is enthusiastically saying, we love these guys. We want these guys to have redemption. We want them to come together. Don't you want this? <laughs> don't you, sure, maybe it wouldn't happen in life, but don't you want it to happen in the movie? And in life. And I think that... <laughs> and in life. In life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it does. God is a good God, and it does happen in life all the time, actually. And we're so cynical that we don't see it. When it does happen, we think it doesn't happen. You know, we're like, oh, uh, the two brothers fought each other. That never happened. Actually, those things, if you have eyes to see the wonderful way that God made the world and the wonderful way that he works big redemption with a capital R and redemption with little r through people's lives, you see things like that all the time, actually. Well, Toby, what kind of a conversation would you have? Have you actually watched this movie with sons? I have. I I don't know that I had thought through it in terms of the post-movie discussion question that you sent my way, but but we've talked about it a little bit. But I think a lot of the things that I pointed out are things that I, as I was thinking about it, I just thought my kids at their school, they all have to read Moby Dick in high school. Right. So I already thought there's a connection point that, you know, I don't think any of them like it, but they have to read it. And so how does that play into the story? I think just tracing how broken the family is, is, is a helpful, just connect the dots, seeing how the sins of the father plays out. Yeah. Um, I think in talking about those covenant realities, I think asking about what's the turning point, the story obviously picks up at a place on purpose, but I, you know, I think the turning point is the father's own repentance. It's explicitly him turning to Jesus. You know, I think the questions I mentioned about what does the movie teach about forgiveness and trust? I think those are important themes for my sons in particular. I, I want to press them on, you know, why is physical strength important for men? It's not the only thing that's important, but it is important. Why is it important? What mistakes have all three of the men made and how are they addressing those mistakes? What are the virtues of the men? Those would be the kind of questions I think are all, there's plenty there to have a conversation with. 
but yeah, I've watched it. I don't know, maybe maybe only four or five times over the last eight years since I found it. But I I liked it well enough to buy it, and I don't always buy movies. And then I did review it after I told you that was the movie I was going to pick. I also have a terrible memory. My wife likes to show me movies that if it's been like three years, I don't remember it probably. And so all mm-hmm. all the jokes are still fresh for me. I, <laughs> but I did refresh on it. But yeah. Any warnings or caveats or objections or anything for anyone who might be thinking of watching this movie? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a little bit of, it's very light, but some scattered cussing and swearing. It's not heavy at all, but you know, if that'd be something for parents to be aware of. And there are a few brief glimpses of immodest women at the fight. And then his own wife is in underwear at one point, but nothing gratuitous and nothing particularly alluring. It's in the shadows or just a quick blink and it's over something for parents to be aware of. Yeah, at the fight, it's much less gratuitous than you would actually, right. you know, it's different than what you get in a Rocky movie. That sort of thing. It threatens a couple places, you know, oh, he's going to go to the strip club to be a bouncer and we're going to pull up right. to it. But nope, he's not going to go inside and we're not going to see anything. Right. So. Yeah, it, it's, you're, prob- you're probably safer watching this than watching an NFL football game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, any other thoughts about this movie or movies in general or anything else to say before we call it a show good stories are very formative i think you want your your sons in particular but also all your children your daughters to admire good men and there's actually so few modern stories that actually do that so i think this is one of the good ones and i think we're talking about just growing loves i think that's the thing it's like pastor doug always likes to say that our job as parents is not to get our kids to submit to the standard our job as parents is to get them to love the standard and the way you get them to love the standard is by cultivating their loves, their affections, that they love real heroes and they love real stories of redemption and forgiveness and restoration. That's going to stick with them and make them the kind of men that can fight through tragedy and hardship and failure. And also give your daughters the right kind of taste for real masculinity and look up to and respect real men rather than all the fake versions we have in pop culture. Mm. Thanks, Toby. Yeah, thank you. That was fun. Yeah, thanks. What a great movie. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. What a fun conversation with Toby Sumter. Once again, you can follow him at Twitter at TJ Sumter. You can listen to his podcast, Cross Politic, or read his fine work at tobyjsumter.com. The gentleman is a class act. It was nice to have him on. You can, of course, support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. And till next time. Stay same.